at the end of his presentation he went around each of the tables and he came over to ours and he did the same thing at each table he said hey guys have you got any questions and in my mind i still can remember the conversation in my mind i have these very vivid internal conversations by the way and my brain's just going okay dude this is your one shot you're gonna have to ask him something really intelligent to prove that you belong here so come on man think of it think of it. what's something really intelligent while my brain's still processing this i i let out and asked him at what point did you know you had made it and he goes man, I've never felt like I've made it. I've never felt like I fit in. I always feel like I'm a fraud. And he said, most of us do. And he, he gestured around the table. And that made me immediately look at that entire table completely differently. Here I was thinking I was this giant outsider because I felt like I didn't belong. But suddenly I realized I'm at a table full of people that despite the fact they looked like they had their lives sorted, they felt like they didn't belong either, which gave me as much right to be at that table as the rest of them. Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in. My guest today is Vince Warnock. He's an award-winning business and marketing strategist, coach, podcast host, and the author of Chasing the Insights. He's an ex-radio announcer with over 20 years in marketing. Uh, Vince has founded multiple companies, including the Chasing the Insights Academy, where he empowers entrepreneurs and business owners to find their voice and sell their story to grow the business they've always dreamed of. He's got a book that he's working on. Uh, he's got his podcast, Chasing the Insights, and then the Chasing the Insights Insider Club. So if you're looking to connect with him and, and gain more information from him, that's the way to do it. Um, for the price of a couple of cups of coffee per month, you get guest tutorials from some of the best marketers in the business, master classes, templates guides, behind the scenes of his podcast episodes, and so much more. Um, he's got new content multiple times per week. You can find out more about that at chasingtheinsights.com slash insider. That's chasingtheinsights.com slash insider. Thank you so much to Vince for joining me. I'm really looking forward to having this conversation uh, and I uh, hope you all enjoy. How's business going? Oh, good, mate. Good, actually. Um, yeah, it's it's been a whirlwind this year. Um, so since leaving Cigna in January, Basically, I, I, I left there thinking I was going to write a book. So the whole goal was leave there, write a book, and and that'll be my focus, you know? And as soon as I did that, I suddenly realized I get bored very, very quickly. I'm now writing two books, launched my own podcast, uh, have taken up a number of coaching clients to help them with marketing, uh, launching a bunch of courses, did an online summit, uh, hosted a virtual summit, and just having a blast. It's been such a good year. Oh man, there's so much we can dig into there. So. What a, which of those things is like, would you say is your, your predominant focus? Like, do you have one of them that takes up the majority of your time? Um, probably the coaching actually, which is the thing that did surprise me. I, um, I, I kind of, it was one of the gaps, I guess. Like if I look at the work I've been doing with my coach. So one of the things I realized this year was focusing on writing the books. Um, as soon as like, there's a book I'm writing at the moment, it's very important to me. It's a part of my journey, but it's also a thing I've seen a lot of entrepreneurs struggling with which is imposter syndrome self-doubt and and a lot of the normal things that kind of plague us as entrepreneurs you know uh, so i started working with a number of businesses to uh, kind of get their feedback and help input into the book and talking to entrepreneurs about their journey and what they struggle with and then of course COVID happened so most of the people i'm talking to just went look mate i would love to keep helping you but right now every revenue stream i've got has completely stopped and I had businesses I was dealing with where, although they had a social presence, et cetera, they, didn't, they didn't have the ability to sell online or they didn't have something that didn't evolve face-to-face. -face. So these people suddenly spiraled into realizing that they still have the same overheads, have no revenue coming in at all. And 
uh, that was a horrible feeling when you're dealing with these people who had helped you to write the book and everything. And I kind of went, oh, I can't leave them in the lurch. This feels terrible. So I decided, right, that's it. I'm going to help them. Uh, I sat down with a company based in Australia. Uh, I talked with them over Zoom and just said, look, guys, is there any way I can help? And they went, no, oh, we don't think you can. And I said, well, what about if we look at getting all your products online? And they went, oh, no, we've been there, done that. But we, they paid $10,000 to a developer to build a website. He never finished it. Uh, so they never really got the products online. So they approached somebody else and said, can you finish it for us? And he came in and said, yeah, but it's on a platform I don't really understand. So I'm going to have to rebuild the whole thing. It's going to cost you an additional 10 grand. Uh, and they just kept spiraling and going down this kind of rabbit hole and realized that they don't even know enough to ask the right questions and to talk to the right people. So that then very quickly became my focus where I was like, okay, I can teach them, like I can coach them and teach them not only how to get online, but how to win online. And they both, uh, it, it's a, a knitting cafe in Melbourne. Um, this is a real thing, apparently. A so knitting, a knitting cafe? cafe. I know, man, I know. So you go in there, you buy your cup of coffee and your scone and you learn to knit a couple of stitches or whatever. I, don't, I really don't know how knitting works. <laughs> but they learn to knit and then they buy their supplies from there. And the two women that run this are just two of the most amazing ones. They have this rabid fan base on social. Everybody loves them and that but they, they suddenly had no revenue. Uh, so I said, look, you know, we can get your entire product line, like 800 and something products, we can get that online and then purchase their stuff. While they're in lockdown, they can purchase the stuff from you so they can keep going. Then you can run Zoom classes and you can teach people stuff. Mm -hmm. um, so they, they, they were a little hesitant on the challenge. They said they were a bit uh, technologically challenged. Um, and I've seen their live videos, I would agree with that. Uh, so I said, right, hold my beer, I'm going to teach you guys over a weekend. Like, just give me a weekend. If I don't succeed, I'll buy you, buy you both a bottle of gin. And all of a sudden, their eyes lit up because the thought of gin is, is really enticing. Um, so over the period of the weekend, I taught basic e-commerce. Uh, fortunately, they were using a system for their point of sale, which made it so easy to set up their online shop. I literally just That's taught good. them Shopify, said export out of there, import into there, ta-da, you now have a shop. Um, so they went live on the Monday and in the, the two following weeks from there, not only are they making more money online than they've ever made in their shop, which I thought was awesome and, and all their offline events, but they also uh, got a notification from Shopify to say that they're the 15th highest transaction Shopify shop in Australia, which is a lot. Wow. Um, and they were just blown away because they, well, the thing is they did it themselves. That's what they loved about it. And that's what I loved about it. I suddenly realized, oh my goodness, how awesome does it feel powering other people? So I, this was a gap in my kind of world domination strategy. I knew I wanted to launch a podcast. I'm writing two more books. Uh, I put my first book out last year. So I kind of had a vision of where all that's going. I knew I'm going to set up courses and things, but to do this coaching wasn't on my radar. And suddenly that became quite an important focus and the satisfaction you get from helping people to succeed is just just so unbelievably cool so yeah that's my number one that long story short that is my number one focus right now <laughs> that's so cool no wonder that sounds like it's such a fulfilling thing to do and so what do you just to talk about that specific example because it's so intriguing to me what do you attribute yeah. that overwhelming success like most companies when they first start using e-commerce don't have that kind of momentous success do they just have a huge cult following locally or what do you what do you how do they do it i think they've managed to capture so I'll tell you another story about it, which will probably highlight a little better. So one of the things they realized is once they launched the online shop, they then just wanted coaching on everything. They were like, we can take on the world with this. So can you teach <laughs> us social media? And and I was like, okay, but before I do, I was a little bit hesitant because I've seen these guys on social. So I said, 
talk me through what you do. And they said, oh, we, we do these Facebook Lives once a week. And I went, yep, sure. And uh, how many people do you generally get attending these Facebook Lives? Oh, I don't know, not that many, about 500, 700 odd people. Okay, uh-huh, not that many. Um, yeah. <laughs> then I said, how Modest. many of those are engaged? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and they went, oh, everybody. Like it's, they have this rabid fan base. And the reason they have this is like, they thought they needed to learn social media because whenever you see them do a Facebook Live, it is hilarious. Like it's these two women just there going, is it on, is it on? Have you pushed the right button? Can anybody hear us? Give us a thumbs up. Oh no, I think we pushed the wrong button. And the, the beginning of the video is literally them trying to figure out what they're doing. And they had interpreted that being good at social media means you were really slick and professional. That you would get in there and you're like, bam, 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 and everyone would engage with you. And I said to them, you've accidentally captured what most brands miss and that's authenticity like they are just so genuinely themselves and this is why people love them this is why they have so many people dial into their facebook lives this is why when they launch the website everyone's like you know what not only do you help meet my need like not only do i can i now buy the supplies from you and and learn to knit via zoom and all these kind of things but I love you guys and I want to support you. So they had people going out of their way, in fact, volunteering to help them in a number of areas because they want them to succeed. So I think uh, as much as I'd love to say it was, well, of course, my wonderful coaching and my ability to teach them and everything. Nah, in reality, it is them. It is their authenticity. It is the fact that they don't stray from what they're good at and what they love. So what, what I love about that is you really have in, in all the interactions I've seen of yours and just doing a little bit of research for this podcast, I didn't do too much. You really hold that true. Like the authenticity is a key thing for you. And, and typically where people's advice for being authentic on social media ends is at B2C, right? When you're selling to customers, like, yeah, you can have like a playful brand, but really what you do is, I mean, I, I heard this example from you in one of your recent podcasts is like you use a less professional photo on LinkedIn and you try to be more authentic, like, can you can you maybe expand upon upon that and yeah. at what at what point should B two B companies stop doing that or what do you what do you think? I, I yeah I deliberately so it does annoy a lot of marketers. I have the, <laughs> I, I try to keep congruency across my my platforms and things like that. So I use the same photo generally, you know, um, and I kind of wear the same kind of clothes. I have a look that I've cultivated because I want people to feel that familiarity when they're engaging with me online but linkedin's the exception where you know i have this professional photo with my big cheesy smile on most platforms but on linkedin i have a silly photo and it's not too silly but it's silly enough uh, and silly enough that a number of people told me i should change it and i'm going nope that's the exact reason <laughs> i'm keeping it there linkedin is a professional platform i want to stand out in there and i want people to actually go you know like when they're on facebook instagram and that where they expect a kind of casual interaction i want them to know that actually i am professional uh, I'm human. I'm you know flawed like they are. I wear my emotions on my sleeve. I'm funny. I, I joke around a lot, but they get to see the professional side of me. Whereas on LinkedIn, everyone's professional. So I want them to know that I'm not cut from the same cloth as other people. When you engage with me, I'm going to have a lot of fun. Like we are going to joke around. We are going to have a few beers or a couple of whiskeys, even if only virtually over Zoom. And we're just going to really enjoy the process because that's how it should be. But that authenticity in a B2B space is, I think it is the right to win. So I'll give you an example. When I started Common Ledger, which is one of my old companies, um, it was a high growth tech startup uh, I had a few years back. We built it for about four years and then we sold it. Um, We had so much interest from different accounting vendors and things. But one of the things that I knew was going to be an initial challenge for us was the fact that we were unknown. 
So I started it with my co-founder, Drew. Uh, Drew is a, an amazing like genius te uh, technology guy. Like he is the developer that you want on your projects. Like this guy knows his stuff, but he has no reputation in the accounting industry. I'm a marketer. Most of my experience is in technology and radio and in education. Uh, again, no experience in accounting. So we were trying to cut into a market that is a very high trust factor. So you are, we are basically asking accounting firms to trust us to handle their clients' data. So that requires a huge amount of connection and trust and things. And I knew it was going to be really difficult because we didn't have the reputation in market. So instead, what we decided to do was to leverage our personal brands and le leverage who we are as human beings and make that kind of connection. If we can't, you know, if we don't stand on this pedestal of being these, you know, great examples in the accounting industry, then we need to stand on a pe pedestal of authenticity and make them feel like they know us and they want to engage with us. So we created a blog and I wanted to do things different. So I said, right, we're going to create a blog for our company, but we're not going to be talking about all the product releases. We're not going to be talking about all the functions and features and every benefit that we have for every accounting firm. Instead, and this is in 2013 when, when blogging was cool, right? Yeah, exactly. exactly. Okay, sorry, continue. <laughs> so so we, wanted to, we wanted to stand out a little bit. So I said, right, we're going to have some personality to this. Our blog is going to be about us as individuals and as a team. So it was about our family nights that we would have as a company. It's about the lunches we would cook for each other. It's about the silly little toys that we would buy each other when we go traveling. So I'd, I'd head off to Australia, do a whole pile of sales meetings over there. I'd fly back and, and when I came back, I'd bring, bring a little Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle figurine or a Transformer or something to kind of make the office a bit more bright. And also, by the way, we're giant nerds. Uh, so it was like, <laughs> right, these are the things that we blogged about. We also blogged about um, our our passion for clients so not necessarily what we're doing for the clients but the fact that we just met them and the questions and the things that they are there so um the value that they're adding to their clients those kind of things now that was the strategy behind it the strategy was i wanted to put a personality on us as a company i wanted them to see behind the curtains and actually realize that we're human beings that they can like that they can know and they can trust then i got the call which blew me away it was actually a linkedin message from uh, one of the big accounting firms here in New Zealand, which was Grant Thornton. And one of the senior partners there reached out and said, look, can I buy you a beer? And I'm like, oh, wow, okay, sure. Great way, by the way, to want to get a meeting with me is just say, I'll buy you a beer or buy you a whiskey. I'm, I usually will say yes, um, I'm cheap like that. So I said, right, okay, let's do this. Um, sat down with him over a beer. He's actually become a really good friend of mine in the years since as well, but sat down with him and he said he wanted to reach out because he felt like he knew us. Like a lot of his team kept sending him the blog posts that we were creating, sending him the cheesy videos that we would put on there of us sitting in a cafe um, trying to create a commercial. It was hilarious. Uh, all the behind the scenes stuff. So they would send it to him. And he said he felt this weird connection, even though he had never met us. So he wanted to reach out and say, look, is there any way that we can work together? So I talked through what our offering was. I talked through how we were helping accounting firms. He realized that they were actually probably the most advanced accounting firm we had dealt with at the time. Uh, and that a lot of what we offer didn't add as much tangible value as it did for a lot of the emerging firms. But that didn't matter to him. He said, look, whatever, whatever resources you need, they're yours. I want to back you guys and I want you to win because I like you guys. So we got to use his brand across our marketing. They became our big major marquee client. That made it so much easier when we're dealing with other accounting firms. They go, oh, if you got them on board, I didn't even need to worry about security. Obviously, you guys have got it sorted. You know, so it was because we let them see behind the curtains 
that they felt that kind of that pseudo social relationship with us. Um, and I, I liken it to movies. I'm a giant nerd. I'm a huge Star Wars fanboy. When I was little, um, I my first ever girlfriend, by the way, was Princess Leia, not Carrie Fisher, Princess Leia, the fictional character. <laughs> that was my first ever girlfriend before there I even go. realized really what girlfriends were. <laughs> I know, man, I, I, I was I was doing pretty well, you know, in the fictional <laughs> girlfriend market. Um, so so it was kind of like I felt this weird connection to uh, Princess Leia. And then, of course, when I, I realized how movies work and everything, it was like, OK, this is Carrie Fisher. And I felt this incredible connection to her. Carrie Fisher had never met me in her life and would probably be creeped out by the fact that I called her my first ever girlfriend. Um, but, but the fact is, I'd never met this person, yet I felt like I knew them. I felt like I could sit down with, with Carrie Fisher and have a, have a beer and chat and talk about life and everything like that because I had created the pseudo-social relationship. And what we don't realize is, as human beings, this is actually a really important type of relationship because it's a relationship without a lot of the, the risk and the negativity of a real-life relationship because in this pseudo-social relationship, unless you're slightly unbalanced, um, they're not generally going to challenge you on everything or, or reject you or anything like that. So, so it's a kind of one-way healthy kind of relationship. This is what you want as a business. When you're dealing in the B2B space, you want other businesses to feel like they desperately want to connect with you. They want to sit down and have a beer with you. Uh, on, on radio, we used to, our old station manager used to say, for the guys and for the girls, anyone who was on air, he said, your goal, like if you're a guy on air, your goal is that every guy that listens to you just wants to go out and have a drink with you. And every girl that wants uh, that is listening to you wants to go out with you and vice versa if you're a female one huh. as well. So it was this, you you need to create the sense of empathy and this create the sense of human connection. And a lot of the ways we do that is through, uh, and you'll see this through anything I do. I'm, I wear my heart on my sleeve. I wear my flaws on my sleeve. I talk about how imposter syndrome grips me. I talk about some of the challenges that I've had. I talk about where I make mistakes. Um, that's something that scares a lot of entrepreneurs. But I'm like, you know what? The fact that I can talk about this stuff means that I give permission to anyone that I'm coaching, anyone that I'm dealing with, to be that emotionally honest as well and to be themselves around me. So I think that is um, that is our right to win. And that's my that's how I kind of deal with B2B and, and my right to win in that market as well. So, yeah. Man, that's like the most poetic view on marketing I've, marketing I've ever heard. So uh, congrats. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, Never heard um, it called poet, poetic before, but I like it. <laughs> I like it. I think it is, I think it is pretty poetic. Um, so let's, can we talk about imposter syndrome? I think it's an interesting yeah, subject. Um, you know, I think every entrepreneur at some point has some level of it. Like you said, yep. uh, it's, it's a, it, it can really hold you back. Um, and yep. the only person you're hurting, you're, you're hurting really is yourself when you're, when you're feeling that way. Um, yeah. how have you struggled with it? How have you overcome it? Have you overcome yeah. it? What, what, uh, tell me your story there. Oh man, I, Okay, well, we could go way, way back on this one. Like, this is this is something that has gripped me for probably the majority of my life. And a lot of it comes from um, my upbringing. I grew up in a, um, how do I say this, a not very nice environment, like a, an abusive kind of environment, uh, which I won't go too much into, but it's essentially that kind of set the precedent where I remember being 11 years old at um, what we call intermediate. So it's, it's kind of a transition school between primary and what we call college, uh, the US and that call um, high school. So it's okay. this transitional two years. And I had this teacher who was um, 
honestly one of the most inspirational people i'd ever met like he, he was just so funny i was a cheeky kid by the way i was way too bright uh, in a very low decile school so in a low uh, socioeconomic school uh where a lot of people didn't push themselves because they didn't feel like they had much hope and they didn't feel like they had much opportunity in front of them um so i was i was incredibly cheeky i remember the amount of times where he would say things like oh you know let's talk about being confident in front of other people and like oh why would we ever need that when are we going to get the chance to talk in front of a crowd and you go how about right now vince and pulls me up in front of the class and goes right you're going to speak for five minutes class give them a topic and of course being a bunch of 11 year olds the, the best they could come up with was egg and so i had to speak for an on about an egg for five minutes <laughs> But the incredible thing is, even though he would challenge me and he would do these embarrassing things, he also showed me something I'd never found before. And that was he truly did believe in me. The amount of times he said to me, man, you've got a gift, you've got something natural here, you could go really far. And that that one sentence, you could go really far, really stuck with me. It, it was like a hook that got into me. And I'm like, wait a minute, I don't have to settle for this life that I'm living right now. I don't have to settle for being poor. I don't have to settle for worrying about where the bills are going to be paid from or worrying about how we're going to have food on the table. Because there was many days where, as kids, we had no food on the table. You know, parents encouraging us to go down to the local supermarket at night and sneak around the back and steal some food. Yeah, those kind of things, which are, right. by the way, not great examples of parenting, I realized later in life. <laughs> um, yeah. So all of these things that we had to deal with, they kind of put a ceiling on you. And so therefore, anytime you rise above that ceiling, you feel very uncomfortable and you feel like you don't belong. And I remember a very pivotal moment for me, which was I was a young, I don't even know what to call myself, man. I wasn't even really an entrepreneur. I had entrepreneurial kind of bent at the time. My first company was when I was 11, but that was pirating video games because I didn't know that was illegal. Um, yeah, I was an 11 year old with no moral compass. I'm just putting it out there. Okay, please don't judge me <laughs> on that. Um, uh, but I figured out, by the way, that Commodore 64, all of the games and software we had were all based on cassette tapes. So hello, high speed dubbing? Oh, yes, please. Yeah, so, <laughs> so I made some really good money off that. Nice. Um, but. But I wasn't, I wouldn't call myself an entrepreneur at the age I was. And I won a ticket to go to this business breakfast. So I wanted to be this, this young businessman. I'm like, oh my goodness, this is amazing. It was the head of Adobe for Oceania. And he was coming over and he was going to be speaking. I was a big Adobe fanboy. I think Photoshop 2 had just come out. And I'm like, oh, this is going to be brilliant. So I realized if I'm going to a business breakfast, I better look the part. I didn't own a suit. I barely owned any clothes. I went down to a secondhand shop and uh, picked up, a, I think it was a $10 suit. It was the most ill-fitting, horrible colored gray, double-breasted um, piece of junk that you've ever seen. It was disgusting, um, but, but that's what I wore. And I turned up to this event, I sat at this table and I'm like, right, I'm here. I'm going to be a sponge. I'm gonna take down everything this guy says. And I looked around the table and man, did I feel like an outsider. Everybody there was way older than me for starters. Um, usually they, they look like I do now. They're old white males and I'm going, oh, good grief. Uh, but they were really, really wearing really nice suits. They just, it's this weird thing. It, they look like they had their life together. They look like they belong. And I sat there thinking, man, I am such a sore thumb here. I, I stick out majorly, I don't belong here. But I was determined I was gonna take as much notes as I could and I was gonna learn from this experience. So I did, and, and his presentation, by the way, was unbelievably cool. I looked at this guy and just thought, not only was he an amazing orator, like he was this incredibly um, empowering speaker, 
but also he seemed to have his entire life together i was like man i want to be living i want to be this guy like forget living his life i just want to i want to be him uh but then at the end of his presentation he went around each of the tables and he came over to ours and he did the same thing at each table he said hey guys have you got any questions and in my mind, I still can remember the conversation in my mind. I have these very vivid internal conversations, by the way. And my brain's just going, okay, dude, this is your one shot. You're going to have to ask him something really intelligent to prove that you belong here. So come on, man, think of it. Think of it. What's something really intelligent? While my brain's still processing this, I, I let out and asked him, at what point did you know you had made it? And my brain just literally went, dude, what the hell? Like, seriously, I'm out of here. Like, <laughs> that was the dumbest question I've ever heard. But as soon as he said it, like the table almost like there was this kind of little murmur of chuckling from the ball and they all looked at me and I'm like, oh, good grief, I'm an idiot. But he turned around and he said, actually, that's a really good question. Um, so internally, I'm going, wait, what? It is? I, I'm like, I'm stoked. I'm going, ha, brain, you know nothing. Um, and he said, <laughs> I'm going to let you in on a little secret. And I went, oh my goodness. So to hear this, by the way, as a young businessman, young entrepreneur, to hear this from this legend, he's going to give me a secret. This is something that I'm going to get access to. Oh my goodness, I'm going to be successful. So he let me in on his daily routine. He said, every day I go through the same routine. I deliberately get up early and I'm like, oh, deliberately get up early. So I'm, I'm writing down everything he says, by the way, almost verbatim. He said, I, I go into the bathroom. I said, bathroom, that must be really important. He goes, I fill up the sink with cold water. Oh, cold water. Good point. Writing down cold water. He splashes it on his face and we oh, must splash. Don't soak. Splash. He goes, and I look in the mirror and I say, today's the day they find out you're a fraud. And it hit me like a brick. I was like, what? And he goes, man, I've never felt like I've made it. I've never felt like I fit in. I always feel like I'm a fraud. And he said, most of us do. And he, he gestured around the table. And that made me immediately look at that entire table completely differently. Here I was thinking I was this giant outsider because I felt like I didn't belong. But suddenly I realized I'm at a table full of people that despite the fact they look like they had their lives sorted, they felt like they didn't belong either, which gave me as much right to be at that table as the rest of them. He then said to me how he deals with that. He said, look, I have to remind myself that actually I am successful. I have done this. I've done so much in my life and I, I am capable of doing this. And it genuinely stuck with me. Now, I still suffer from imposter syndrome. In fact, I, I thought I'd sorted this out, man. I, I got to speak at a conference in San Fran uh, back in 2018. It was one of the highlights of my career because 7,000 people there. This is, this is awesome, man. I'm like, oh, you put yeah. me in front of a stage. I'm a happy, happy camper. Uh, so I went to this conference. It was really surreal. They had um, they had selected. They were launching this program called the Fearless Fifty. So Adobe now run this. It's um, it's basically choosing the top fifty digital marketers in the world. So now you're a speaker and for Adobe. Has, in this, uh, yeah, in yeah, exactly. Nice. That's a good, uh, good transition. Full circle. <laughs> Weirdly, I hadn't actually made that connection. I yeah. love that. Yeah, That'd be a good transition in a movie. Yeah. Right, keep going. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, <laughs> yeah, the hero's journey. Now, uh, <laughs> but they, they selected these top 50 digital markets. So I'm like, okay, cool. And then they announced that I had made the list. And I'm going, okay, well, internally, I'm struggling with this because I can name 100 people that are way better at what I do than I am, you know? Um, and then we go to this conference and they were launching this program there. And they would say, look, you know, we're, we've announced that we're doing the top 50 di digital markets in the world. But actually, we've only selected the top 25. Now, that's even harder to hear when you're like, okay, I can name 100 people better than me, but wait a minute, you're telling me that somehow I'm in the top 25. This makes no sense to my brain. 
But then I'm sitting there in this audience and the guy gets up there and he goes, but I really want to highlight three of them. And these are three people that I think are really challenging the way that we do things in market, that are really trying to push the industry itself to be better. And all of a sudden I see my photo up there on the screen and it's a giant screen, man. I'm seeing this, just my head's big enough already, but suddenly this is huge, like building size head. And I looked and all I could think about was, man, that guy looks like me. And then <laughs> the name comes up next to it and I was like, wait, he's got the same name as me. What the hell? Like, I was, my brain just couldn't even process this stuff. And then I clicked that he was actually talking about me and I did struggle with this. And, and then weirdly, Americans, I'm sorry, you would never see this in New Zealand, but I finished my session and people were asking for autographs. I'm like, autographs, I'm a marketer. What the hell's going on here? Like, I'm a barely average karaoke singer. There's no way that I'm a celebrity of any any kind of account whatsoever. But you know, it was it was surreal. And it was it was actually a really enjoyable experience. But at the conference, I was struggling with a lot of this. And at the conference, they had uh, a professor there who was she was talking about imposter syndrome. And I was like, Oh, this is a subject that's really important to me because I know I've got imposter syndrome, but I know I can deal with it because of that whole experience around that table. I basically embrace imposter syndrome and go, if we all feel that way, then I've got as much right to be there as everyone else. So I'm like, yes, I've got this. I'm going to write a book on this anyway. So I'm going to her session and I've got my pen and paper. I'm like, this is going to be great. She's going to give me every stat and I can, I can cheat. She's done all the research. I'm just going to reference her research in my book. Ta-da. So she sat there and she was going through it and it was genuinely like honestly fascinating. Like the fact that 72% of people in the world uh, basically associate with having imposter syndrome at points in their life, if not quite regularly. Uh, but that's the ones that admit to it. The actual research shows that it may be even higher than that. So we're going through all this different thing and who has the propensity towards it, et cetera. But she got to a section called how we self-sabotage. And that looks at how imposter syndrome affects us as entrepreneurs, affects us as marketers, and basically how we kind of, uh, like procrastination is a good example of this, uh, perfectionism is a good example of self-sabotage, all of these kind of things where we're trying to convince ourselves that this is the reason we're doing this. The, the reason I'm not finishing this is because, you know, it's, I want it to be perfect. But in actual fact, we're worried that if we put it out there, people will judge it, and therefore we will be exposed as this, as this fraud. So... I'm hearing all of this stuff and it was literally like a checklist of my life and I'm going, oh man, ouch. And then she gives another point, ouch, and another point, ouch. And I'm going, okay, this is really hard to hear. It was really quite confronting. So I, I wanted to go to the sessions after hers, but it, I was wrecked. I was ruined from her session. I literally went to a Starbucks and sat there. I felt really sorry for the girl that worked there because she came over and she goes, um, excuse me, sir. And I was like, yeah. And she goes, are you okay? And I'm like, I'm fine. <laughs> like, I'm just thinking about my life and I'm wiping away the tears going, just leave me alone. Uh, it was just, it was really conf confronting and it made me realize I need to, I need to work on myself. I need to actually address this and things. So fast forward to when I published my first book last year, um, that was a moment that should be an incredible, it's something, it's something I'd wanted to do for a large portion of my life was to publish a book. I was really proud of the book. I worked really hard on this. It was my own methodologies, but it was the psychology behind that as well. I even talked about, ironically, even talked about imposter syndrome in the book itself um, and a number of different aspects in there and how to kind of uh, bring experimentation into marketing, which is the theme of it. 
but when the book was complete and I was going, I was getting ready to publish and someone said to me, don't do a book launch because no one goes to book launches these days. And I went, ha, 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 I'm a marketer, you amateur. Um, <laughs> hold my beer. I've got this. So <laughs> we read this, this book launch. There was like a hundred people there packed out the venue. It was, it was actually amazing. Like it was a wonderful night. Uh, so many supportive people. I talked through my journey of writing the book, talked through all the people that inspired and helped me. A lot of them were there as well, which was amazing. And I had to rationalize in my head the fact that people would want a signed copy of the book. Because to me, again, like I said, I'm not a celebrity, right? I, I, I wish I was a musician. I wish I was a famous singer because I, I truly think I miss my calling. Um, but, but And I love karaoke, but I'm not a celebrity. So why would anyone want my autograph? I was, I was kind of rationalized in this. But then I realized if I go to a book launch, that's exactly what I would want there. Right. It's my way of showing the author that I support them. But also, it's just damn cool. Like You go to a book, look, you were there when this book was launched. And to prove it, you've got the signed copy. That is cool. So I said, you know what? I'm okay with this. I can actually, I bought myself a new pen. This is my signing pen. So I turn up there and I'm like, ha I'm going to sign all these books. And it's going to be a wonderful night. And it was. Except I didn't count on the next thing that would happen, which is everyone said something along the lines of, I can't wait to read this. Well, thanks, Vince. I'm looking forward to reading it. And my stomach started getting knotted and then more knotted and then more knotted. And that night when I went home, uh, it should have been, I should have, been, I'm a high extrovert man. Being around that many people, I should be less like energized, but I shut down and my brain just, I could hear these stupid conversations that I made up in my own head. And they were along the lines of, oh, who does he think he is writing a book? You know, who does he think he is that he's got something to say over all these amazing other marketers out there? Or I started reading the book, what an amateur. This is real amateur hour stuff, you know? So all these conversations, and I, I decided at that point, I didn't want to talk about the book anymore. I wanted to go quiet on it. Now I'm a chief marketing officer at Signa at the time. We had so much stuff on. I was slammed. I was super busy. So I thought, you know what, I'm just really busy. And that's going to be my my excuse. <laughs> so when anyone anyone asks, uh, you know, why aren't you doing any marketing out there? Oh, I'm just really busy. I'm working, I'm working, you know, using word of mouth. Um, and it was one of my mentors called me out on it and said, uh, like, you know, I haven't seen you talking on social, I haven't seen anything out there. He found out that I had turned down two really big media interviews, which I do regret, to be honest, uh, because I was just too afraid. And he said to me, Look, you know, I, I haven't seen anything out there. And I said, yeah, I know I'm working. I'm looking at word of mouth. You know, I'm just being really, really busy. And he goes, yeah, sure. Let me talk you through what happens every time I publish a book. And this is a guy who's written like seven books. He's a multi, mm -hmm. you know, award-winning author. And he went through the same journey every time he writes a book. And that for me was both confronting because I didn't realize this about him, but at the same time made me feel not alone. The same journey and you went through, so not the same journey that he went through each time. Yeah, exactly. Well, oh, okay, he went okay. through the same journey every time he's done a book, but it was the same journey I was going through. I felt like he was reading my mail, basically. Uh, and he said, most people go through this. And again, it kind of reinforced that a lot of us struggle with this stuff. So I decided at that point, it was that I need to do something about this. I need to talk about it. So I wrote a LinkedIn post. I didn't think anything like what I said. So here's what I'm going to do, guys. I'm going to tell you what I truly believe, which is that you need to buy this book. And I know you need to buy it because... I poured my heart and literally transformed industries from this stuff. So you need to go out and buy the book. It's a good book and I'm really proud of it. And I left it at that. That was my kind of thing. It did, by the way, massive spike in book sales. So I'm thinking, hey, this is a really good marketing tactic, <laughs> first of all. But the other thing that happened was the amount of people that started talking about that and started reaching out and talking about their journey with imposter syndrome, it suddenly realized there's 
we're not all these isolated individuals. We're isolated, but we're all going through the same shared experience. So to me, that is that is one of the kind of driving factors why I'm writing the book I'm doing at the moment called Anti-Perfect. Um, it's all about making sure, and this is one of the big tactics, by the way, that I use now, is whenever I'm feeling imposter syndrome, I'm feeling self-doubt, all these different kind of things, what that is essentially is your brain, your thoughts, your feelings are misaligned or unaligned with your evidence. And I've I started realizing that everyone I've coached over the last you know five or so years, or everyone I've mentored or worked with and tried to help out, this was usually the problem I was helping them with. Nine, nine times out of ten, it's not a marketing problem that they come to me with. They don't come and say, "How can I reposition my brand?" I kind of wish they did sometimes, but they usually come to me and go, "Dude, I'm freaking out of it, way over my head, help!" Um, and what would happen is they would tell me all these things, these negatives about themselves, and I'm going, "Yeah, but the evidence that you have." doesn't align with what you're feeling or what you're thinking. So it's about aligning those two things. So we use things like cookie jar method, we use like affirmations and things to remind yourself, like keep testimonials of every way that I've impacted businesses and, and entrepreneurs. And I, I, I used to put them on my wall in here, by the way, uh, in my home office, but uh, I realized when I get people over here to record a podcast, it's a little bit bizarre having all this feedback on the wall. It kind of feels a bit, um, a, a bit too uh, tossy. So I thought, no, nah, I'm not going to do that. So I put them in a Trello board. <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh, but, any, but anytime I'm kind of feeling that self-doubt, anytime, and, and we all have this as entrepreneurs, by the way, and it's okay to feel this. When you wake up in the morning and go, you know what? I don't even want to get out of bed today. I don't want to face the day. It's scary and I'm a fraud. and Everyone's going to find out. It's okay to have a bad day. And on those days, I just take a moment, I pause, I step back and I go, okay, it's time to look after myself. So let's go and have a look at these testimonials. Let's have a look at the way that I've impacted so many people. And when you get to the end of that, two things happen. One, it aligns your thinking and your feeling with the evidence. But the other thing that happens is it reminds you why you do what you do. And if you're, if you're a decent entrepreneur, and, and I, I believe that most entrepreneurs are, where they genuinely want to help people they genuinely want to make an impact to make a mark on the world. If that's what their their passion and their goal is, then this is a good exercise to remind you that it's not about you. And yes, you're allowed to have a bad day. You're allowed to have these thoughts that is a part of being a human being. You have highs, you have lows, that is all acceptable. But at the same time, don't let that sabotage you because you do not want to hold back what you have to offer the world to other people. You don't want to deny them what you bring to the table and you will help them with. Um, so that's, and the needs that you meet in other people and that. So that's kind of how I deal with imposter syndrome. That's a, a lot of my kind of journey around that as well. I think that's brilliant. I think most people only utilize testimonials to convince more customers to buy from them, but you yeah. actually use it as kind of like a self-soothing, I, I, I'm gonna start doing that. That's, that's, a, that's a great idea. I love that. Yeah. I, I kind of learned from, I, you know, other people do, and my daughter used to do this actually. She used to do like affirmations, you know, she'd write down these affirmations and things. And I always thought that was really, really cheesy. In fact, we, we did it here. Um, me and my son have these competitions. We have this automation system. So I've got everything muted in the home office at the moment because it talks to me. Um, but, but we will walk into the home office here and I'll go, okay, computer. And it'll go, oh, yeah, just double checking it's not activated. Yep. I'll go computer. And it goes, yes. I go, it's writing mode. And then the lights change to green because that's my writing color. The music will change to my writing playlist and all this kind of thing. And me and my son try and outdo each other with how cheesy we make these automations. You know, like he'll walk in and go, computer, light him up. And then everything flashes and it goes, game time. And he's like, yeah, it's just so cheesy. 
But I, one day I outdid him and I thought, right, I'm going to take a few days off to write my book. Um, but I, I need to make sure I'm motivated and get in the mood. So I did this cheesy thing before he got out of bed. And I'm like, ha, ha, ha. So he got up and I said, hey, Jarvis. He said, yeah. I said, check this out. I walk in and I said, computer. And he goes, yes, Vince. I said, inspire me. And the computer came back with, hey, remember what Anne Handley told you? You're so close to being called an author. Yeah, or a published author, you know. Just remember that the impact that you have. And it was all these things that people had said to me over the years about my story, about what I need to do and all this. And it was so cheesy. And my son's rolling his eyes going, oh, you're such a loser, Dan. And I went, I know, it's awesome, eh? And we're laughing. He went off to school. But as soon as he went to school and Leanne went to work and all this, I, I sat there and I went, actually, that was kind of cool. So I was a computer and he goes, yeah, inspire me. And I did it again. And I realized it was actually having a positive effect on me. As cheesy as it was, this stuff works, man. <laughs> like the power of words is incredible. So yeah, I highly recommend every entrepreneur keep your own little testimonial pool that you can use to align the evidence with your thoughts and your feelings. Love it. Love it. Um, so on your uh, this is a slight subject change, but I just wanted to, yeah. to ask you about it. I was going through your LinkedIn page this morning and I saw this awesome Richard Branson quote uh, that you have. Uh, yeah. If someone offers you an amazing opportunity, but you're not sure you can do it, say yes, then learn how to do it later. And oh, the reason yeah. I want to bring that up is because based on a previous conversation that you and I have had, that seems like a good segue to start talking about your new book that you're working on. Uh, does that anti-perfect? Does that, does yeah, that, am I, is that a good connection one and two? Can you talk about your new book? Oh, absolutely. I'm actually writing two. Um, I'm quite insane. It appears uh, <laughs> that's what I do now, but it, it's, it's actually a mark on, it's a mark on a lot of my entrepreneurial journey. Like I put that in my LinkedIn around, um, starting common ledger, which is where this opportunity came up and I went, wow, okay, this is something new. I've never been in the accounting space before. I've got no idea, but you know what? I know what I'm doing in marketing uh, and I can translate that to sales. We need to do this. And the evidence that we kept, that we researched and researched and realized the evidence in front of us showed that this was a massive opportunity and it was, you know? So that, that quote was what fueled me at the time and made me realize, just do it anyway, man. Like, forget about your fears, <laughs> forget about your insecurities. Just take one step forward, then another step, then another step and jump into this baby boots and all. Um, but it's also become a mark of even this year, you know, like I was recorded for a podcast back in January. Um, so the Digital Marketer podcast um, and Kieran Rogers and that were going, okay, look, you know, I, he was interviewing me and then off here, he just said, but Vince, why don't you have a podcast? And I said, oh, I've been wanting to do one for years, but I've been really busy. And he goes, uh-huh. Can I rephrase that? He said, you need to do a podcast. He said, because I would listen to it. And I went, oh. And he said, yeah, you're really engaging, et cetera. And he says, so I'm issuing you with a challenge. I want you to launch one by the end of the year. So I thought, okay, so I need to get my podcast ready. I need to get everything sorted. I need to make sure that the audio is 100%. I'm an ex-audio engineer. So it's like everything needs to be spot on perfect. Otherwise, I won't be happy. Uh, but then realized if I kept going down that path, the podcast will probably launch in about three or four years from now. Right. So there was a point where I just had to get over myself, stop procrastinating and stop pretending that it's perfectionism when it's actually fear and go, you know what? I'm just going to have to do it. So someone's asked me, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just going to make it up as I go along and we will learn and it will get better and it will get better and it will get better. So the same kind of thing with the book as well. It's And, and the two books, in fact, um, both of them have come from that perspective of going, I just need to do this. In fact, I made the biggest decision in a very long time earlier this year. So 
uh, said last year, I was the chief marketing officer at Cigna, um, an exceptionally well-paying job, an amazing team, a great company. Uh, the leadership there is phenomenal. And I was like, right, okay, this is a good environment. It's a good job. I'm feeling very secure. I don't like fully feeling secure, by the way, because secure for, to me makes it means comfortable and I don't really like feeling comfortable. I get real antsy. But I was feeling this pull to do this next book, to do Anti-Perfect. And as I said, talking like doing that LinkedIn article about imposter syndrome started conversations with so many people. So I tested the waters a little bit uh, further later in the year. I was asked to do an opening keynote at a conference. And the theme of the conference was fearlessness. And I'm like, Haha, I'm in the Fearless 50. This is awesome. A <laughs> nice little segue. So I, uh, and I realized I looked and most of my peers in the industry were at this conference speaking. So I thought, do I look at, you know, even though the theme's fearless, do I give them some kind of advanced methodology around digital marketing? Well, actually anybody at this conference could give them that. Do I give them, you know, some kind of framework that they can use? Well, everyone can kind of give them something along those lines. So I wanted to do something a little bit different. It was the opening keynote. So I thought, I'm going to talk about this concept of fear. And I, uh, by the way, I, I, I don't recommend anyone ever do this part. I, I started by doing audience interaction and it was so risky. It was unbelievable. I said, look, I want to talk about this concept of fearless. But first of all, can anyone tell me what fearless means? And I suddenly realized as soon as I said that, it was like, this is a really dumb thing because someone could nail this and then that's going to take all the wind out of my sails. But oh boy, did they walk right into it. Like someone, someone, puts their <laughs> hand up, someone put their hand up and said, oh, it means being without fear. And I said, great answer, great answer. And then someone else put their hand up and said, oh, the man without fear. So Daredevil fan, nice. I'm a big Marvel fanboy. So that resonated with me. Uh, and it was kind of along these lines. It's, you know, you know that no, having no fear and all this kind of stuff. Look, guys, these are all great answers. You're all completely wrong, but they're great answers. And it kind of stopped everyone. I was like, I'm so glad no one actually got it right. So I gave them the actual literal definition, which is that you are not under the bondage of fear. So you're not under the control of fear. Oh, I love that. I said, when you understand that, you realize that fear is still there, but it doesn't affect you. It doesn't control you and it doesn't stop your decisions, you know? So I, I taught them through my framework. I was very uh, raw and emotionally honest with them, actually. And I thought, this is very risky, obviously. But I, it's one of those things, you know, you do a keynote and you get off stage and everyone goes, oh, that was amazing. And you're like, yeah, sure. They'd tell me that even if it wasn't, you know, everyone, everyone gives you the platitudes. You're not really sure how this connected with so many people. I saw the audience nodding. They were highly engaged. So I thought maybe, maybe I've got through to them. Maybe this has helped somebody in there. But what I, what happened after that cemented the need to write this book? Because so many people reached out to me and said, look, I would love to have a conversation with you. Uh, I'll fly down to Wellington because I, I traveled up to Auckland in New Zealand. And they said, I'll, I'll fly down to Wellington. I'll take you up for dinner or I'll buy you a beer or whatever. I just, I need to talk about this with somebody. And it was all that, it, most of the time it was the things that they were doing in their own life around imposter syndrome and that was sabotaging them. But then one of the things that happened, I left the auditorium went out into kind of the common area there. And there was a bunch of marketers that I'd never seen before. They were from a you know different kind of sector than I'm usually in. And they're all quite young and everything. And I walked out and they didn't see me. So it's one of those rare opportunities you get to hear people talking about what you just did without realizing you're there. So it's unfettered. And there was a young guy there. And and to hear this from a guy I thought was really powerful as well. Um, some of us say, oh man, that was really powerful. And he said, yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, look, can I be honest with you guys? He said, I had to leave the session near the end I had to go to the bathroom and have a little cry. And he said, because I realized I've sabotaged both my previous two jobs because I was afraid 
and because I had this imposter syndrome Jeez. and, and it had caused a breakthrough from, and I'm thinking, oh my goodness, we need to keep this conversation going. This is nothing like, by the way, this is not some advanced teaching from me. It's nothing special from me. It's just the fact that we're talking about this. So I thought we need to do more of this. So the book is, is really about that. It is really about rewiring and, re, and basically creating your own internal operating system, like reprogramming your brain. It's about understanding the difference between, um, I don't know if you've heard of the concept of thinking brain, observing brain, but essentially you are not the sum total of your thoughts and your feelings. Like they are physiological reactions. And a great way to explain this, I did this in the, in the conference actually. I said, right, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna pick three people from the audience and I'm gonna get you to come up here and present to everybody else. And it's quite a large conference. And you could almost hear the <gasps> from the audience, like all their, all their, um, yeah, they were puckering up, shall I say? Uh, like everyone was feeling a bit afraid. And I said, "Oh, what just happened there?" I said, "When I said that," and I said, "Relax, I'm not going to get you guys up on stage." But what did you immediately feel? And people said, "Like, oh, I got sweaty palms, my heart started racing, like, oh, I was a bit breathless, and kind of got a bit dizzy, and everything." I said, "Yeah, these are all the physiological uh, reactions to stress or to fear." He was like, yeah. And I said, now, what are the physiological reactions to excitement? Like when you're genuinely excited? Let's see, it is sweaty palms, it is lack of breath, it is your heart starts racing, your stomach knots, all the different, basically your cortisone levels increase the same way they do when you are anxious or when you are fearful. So if the inputs that your brain is taking in, like if they're seeing the same thing, whether it's excitement or fear, then your brain has taken those physiological inputs and interpreted them, which means you have the opportunity to change the interpretation. So, and it's it's a really powerful thing that someone did on me once. They said basically, they, they taught me that. They said that, that fear and excitement are the same physiological reaction. So I would change my language going into a meeting or whatever, where I'd normally say, oh, I'm really nervous about this, or I'm, or I'm a bit scared about this. I would change my language to go, I'm actually really excited about this. And it would change my outlook. And it's a really simple thing that people can do. But this is the difference between the thinking brain and the observing brain. One of them takes in the input and the other one interprets that. So this, this whole concept of anti-perfect is about that. It's about rewiring the brain. And it's also about not trying to compare yourself with other people. And this was a big eye-opener for me in that conference in San Fran where um, one, of the, one of the benefits of going to that conference, other than all the things that happened, it was an amazing experience. Got to go in a helicopter um, under the nice. San Fran Bridge. That was so That's exciting. Cool. I know. And, and even weirder than that, I thought that was part of, because basically these people turned up and said, oh, Vince, you know, you're in the Fearless 50. I went, yeah, yeah, okay. Are, are you coming in the helicopter? And I'm like, wait, what? A helicopter? <laughs> Hell yeah. I didn't even know this was a thing. And, and they had cherry picked a bunch of us who were, were Fearless 50 and we jumped at this limo. We turned up at this private airport. John Travolta was literally, he had just landed his jet, was walking along. So all of us are like trying not to just go crazy and take all these selfies there. We're trying to look like we fit in, but we definitely did not look like we fit in, by the way. Um, so we're in this helicopter. We go up and we're way up in the sky. And then suddenly the guy turns around and says, oh, by the way, the reason I called you all up here is because we have a job opportunity. I'm like, holy crap, not one of us actually questioned whether or not this was officially part of the program or not. This was literally <laughs> someone who wasn't even, wasn't even part of the conference. They'd just come in there and go, these are the people we want to cherry pick. Um, so they made us sort of, I didn't take the job, by the way. But <laughs> I was a little bit worried that if we said no, they might push us out of the helicopter. But uh, <laughs> That is an incredible recruiting tactic. That is I amazing. know, I know. <laughs> by the way, just, 
just quietly it did work on a couple of people in that helicopter but it oh i'm sure <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but then it was the, the whole event was so surreal but the biggest thing for me there was meeting some of my heroes um and i won't name them because i'm about to tell another story but there were some people there that i genuinely look up to in the industry and to hear one of them i got to meet one of them and hear him speak and i was like oh my goodness i've been waiting my whole life to hear this guy speak this is going to be incredible i've read every book that he's uh, he's written and they're some of the best in the industry this is going to be amazing so he was speaking there i'm like oh this is awesome and and to make matters worth by the way it, it turns out he's a really really nice guy i was really hoping he was a jerk that way i can go oh you know <laughs> like, at least he's got some flaws but no he turned out to be a really nice guy as well but he saw me in the audience of his session and he had been in my session. So he he referenced my session in there and just said, hey, oh, I didn't realize you're in the audience. You and I are going out for a drink. Nice. And I was like, sure. Oh, absolutely. There's no way I'm saying no to this. So we went out, we had a dinner and we had a drink and we're chatting away and he had, had quite a few drinks. Um, I, I have a very high metabolism. So um, those quite a few drinks had no effect on me, but they had quite a big effect on him. Um, but, but he started to get very honest with me. Now, for disclosure, I had put this guy on a pedestal. I thought this guy's life must be a dream. Like every book that he publishes goes bestseller. Like the amount of accolades and awards he's won are incredible. And by the way, he knows the stuff. Like this is well-deserved. Every accolade was incredibly well-deserved. So obviously this guy's life is perfect and I want to be like him and I want to compare myself to him. And then we start talking and he was talking about having relationship problems and financial problems and all the stresses he's got and everything. And I'm just going, how is this possible? This is the guy that I look up to. And I realized in some areas of my life, I'm actually more sorted than him. He's a hot mess. I'm only a slightly warm mess. Um, so it was quite an eye opener. And it made me realize that we often look at other people and we project onto them. We think that all these people have their life sorted and we need to be 100% like that. Don't forget, if 72% of people pay, uh, face imposter syndrome, there's a good chance that this person's feeling just as much of a fraud as you. And in often cases, are probably looking up to you and going, this guy's mm -hmm. got his life sorted and, and didn't realize you're a hot mess as well. So yeah, it's just, it's such a surreal experience. But that, that's essentially where I'm heading with the book is I really, and I'm taking my time with it this year. I want to probably publish it by the end of the year or early next year. But it really is designed to keep that conversation going for entrepreneurs i'm by no means an expert in this i suffer from this myself i call it my thorn in my side because i, I genuinely think it's something that um this is going to sound really random but i'm really thankful for i'm thankful that i go through this because it enables me to be empathetic and to help other people as well and it keeps me grounded i'd be really arrogant if i looked at my list of accomplishments and went yeah man i really am that good no i'm not um, so so it keeps me really grounded but this thorn in my side is going to be there for the rest of my life i've realized that i'm always going to battle with this because of the amount of emotional scars i've got from my childhood and the amount of things that i've had to battle through and deal with in my life but again I if i change that and make that like power me and help me and motivate me to help other people that's where it becomes powerful I love that story. I, I think I didn't mean to cut you off there, by the way, if you're gonna keep no, going, you're sorry. But uh, yeah, I love that story. And I think, you know, as I'm listening to to this pattern that you've been describing to me in your life of, you know, you just kind of going out there and being emotionally raw, and yourself and authentic in contexts that, you know, typically are not known for that, such as like business conferences, which I would yeah. say is a pretty stale environment, typically. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> I think that speaks to, you know, the, the fact that your hero pointed you out of a crowd and say, I want to go have a drink with that guy. And then he in turn was emotionally raw with you. And like, then you were able to like meet your hero, so to speak. I think yeah. 
I think there's a lesson to be learned there for everybody. Like just the authenticity is, is the motif of this podcast. I like to <laughs> yeah. put a bow on it there. I think that's, I think that's there awesome. There we go. <laughs> awesome. I love well, that. It, it generally does like being that raw. And by the way, when I say raw, there is, there is a balance there that you need to keep. Like we talk about the whole concept of don't show the wounds, like the open wounds, show the scars. So if you're going through something, mm. you can be honest about it, but also, you know, you, you don't want to just turn up to a client and go, oh, I'm a mess, like my life's falling apart. Because right. they're going, well, I'm paying you to help me. But what you can do is be really honest about what you've been through and what you've learned through that and where you are now and things. Mm -hmm. And that's really powerful for a lot of people because what it does is it gives them permission to be human. And I think that's the powerful piece. And like you said, you know, when I went for drinks with him, part of the reason he could open up to me was because I was really open with him. Mm -hmm. So that gives him permission. There's no judgment. There's no fear because he knows that, you know, if I'm that emotionally honest, then he can be that way as well. So it really does help people. That's so cool. Um, so I have a couple of questions for you that uh, I call it the rapid fire round. I stole it from Tim Ferriss. Oh, but it's but go. it's not yep. it's not rapid fire in the sense that I expect you to give me a quick and concise answer because you're an amazing speaker actually and I'm happy to let you take as long as you want with anything. Oh, but uh, <laughs> I was going to say, if you give me too long, I could talk for hours, brother. I love talking. <laughs> if you haven't already picked that up already, you're great. I love it's, telling those, stories. Those years of broadcasting <laughs> did, did well for you. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, no, uh, but the the reason I call it the rapid fire round is because like these questions are less like connected to each other. They're just things I'm curious about. Yeah. Um, cool. So, what um, why did you choose to become an entrepreneur? Ah, interesting. I don't think I've ever been asked that. <laughs> this may be a rapid fire question, but it may not be a rapid answer because I have to think about it. It's all that. good. Um, I I I don't know. I I think because I'm creative. Um, I, I genuinely think entrepreneurs, and like, I, I, I do mean this, I say this so many times on my podcast, I say this so many times when I'm coaching people, but I genuinely think entrepreneurs, are, it, it's a high calling. Like I, my, in my mind, the highest calling is being a parent and a husband. That is your highest calling. You have people's lives that are responsible, you're responsible for, and you are responsible to create the best environment for them possible like to create an environment where they can feel like they can achieve anything, they can do anything. That is the highest calling to me. The second calling though is as entrepreneurs, because if you think about what an entrepreneur does, they basically take something that doesn't exist and bring it to life. So similar to, I guess, to having a child, you know, you're creating something and bringing something into this world to help or to serve a need for other people. And by the way, I don't call, there are a type of entrepreneur out there that are just greedy it's just about money 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 and manipulating people i don't call them entrepreneurs i just call them dodgy okay so i'm talking <laughs> about those entrepreneurs that genuinely want to make an impact on the world so i think that creativity is a core part of that because you're creating something and i think creative people and this is unproven i'm just hypothesizing would have a natural bent towards entrepreneurship uh, but for me also it gives like it's something that gave me the freedom to break out of my childhood and like I said, I grew up in an environment where uh, it was normal to not be able to pay bills. It was normal to struggle to survive. And I don't want that. Not just for myself. I don't want that for my wife. I don't want that for my children. So for me, there was there's a couple of really, and this is going to go on a weird tangent here now, man. See what you're doing. Uh, <laughs> but there's a, a couple of key things I wanted to teach my kids when they were growing up. Uh, one of them was to understand why people behave the way that they do. I think this is like be very curious about other people. I think this is something that would legitimately change the world if we all grasp this. 
So rather than looking at why someone behaves the way that they do or what their actions are, we're trying to think about what's going on in their life. Try to think about what life is like from their perspective. Because when you can understand from somebody else's perspective, you've got so much more capacity for an empathy and emotion and, and being supportive and things. Uh, and I've learned that the hard way through my life through mistakes more than anything, you know, um, uh, and won't have time to go into all the stories because this will take hours, man. But the amount of sure. times where I thought I was being the hero, I thought I was being the good guy and, and everything, and, you know, I'm standing up for the little man and then realize that the person I'm dealing with just needed someone to listen to them. They didn't need someone to tear them down. They needed somebody to go, actually, I understand what life's like for you. I understand what you're going through and I can talk to you about that. So, so that's what I want to teach them. But the other thing I wanted to teach them was don't be beholden to employment. Um, because I had seen this so many times through my family's life. You know, my, my parents, when I was growing up is they would lose jobs for whatever reason, usually because one of them might be um, a little bit drunk or stoned at work or, or whatever, or, or that they get make, get made redundant. So the jobs were fickle and the income was fickle. And when you're reliant on that, there's so much pressure and anxiety and stress that comes with that. So I wanted my kids to know that, yes, go out and get a job, but at the same time, always be looking at being able to create your own wealth and doing your own thing. So both of my kids have had their own business since they were really, really little. Like my really? son, his first business ever was, yeah, when he was uh, seven, he created a comic book. Um, and he realized he's a terrible artist. So he knew that he only had like three years where this was kind of cute because he's this young kid making these comics. But he was an incredible storyteller and some really advanced concepts in there, by the way. Like he's talking full omniverse concepts of, you know, okay. traveling between universes and dimensions and all this as a seven year old. So they, they were great comics, very funny. But that was what he was doing. My daughter used to teach dance to, um, to young children and things like that. So they've always had their own businesses. Now my son's 17, he runs a web design company. Um, my daughter's 23, she's got a digital marketing agency. I wanted them to be able to create their own wealth. And the reason for that is because when you can do that, you are not, you, you don't carry the weight of a worry about all these different things. I wanna impact so many people. The only way I'm gonna impact so many people is if I'm not having to worry about where you know, food's coming from or where we're going to pay the bills or anything like that. If that's all sorted behind me, I can focus purely on impacting other people. So so that's, I think, where it's come from is wanting that financial freedom, wanting the best for my family and wanting to basically push myself so that I show my kids and my wife that they too can do this. They can take risks. They can go out there. They can put themselves out there. They may fail, but they also may succeed. And that's okay. Both of those are options, you know? So, so that's where it's kind of come from is that drive and the creative aspect of it. I love that. Oh, that's a great answer. Wow. I've never been asked that question before. That is crazy. <laughs> I never thought about what made me an entrepreneur. <laughs> I do know you this. You had a though. great answer. I, I'll throw this in there. <laughs> <laughs> but I will throw this in there, though. One thing I have observed in my own life and in other entrepreneurs' lives as well is once you are an, an entrepreneur and you identify as an entrepreneur, I'm just going to put it out there. That pull is really strong. So you can go back into corporate life, as I did when I was at Cigna, but that pull to get back out there and create something is really powerful. And at some point you are going to give into it. You're gonna do what I did and leave that well-paying job at the beginning of the year. You're going to leave all of that security because you want to birth this thing and create it. So, yeah. Wow, yeah, I was, I was actually gonna ask you about that on, uh, earlier, but I didn't end up getting around to it. What was it like going yeah, from being an entrepreneur? <laughs> no, not a problem. Yeah. Uh, I was, what's it like, like going yeah. from entrepreneurship back into corporate environment? Like. I don't know if I if I would ever personally do it, but I'd love to know what it was like um, yeah. firsthand. It was 
it, it took some adapting and and, uh, and some of it's really positive too by the way and uh, now one of the advantages i had by the way going from common ledger where, I, where we're selling common ledger to going into um signa was signa uh, even though they're a fortune 100 company i think they're fortune 64 at the moment or something or other you know very large company but they think like a startup so they foster that culture and that environment in there. Like when I came in there, my, my mandate essentially was to challenge the way that we do things. So that as an entrepreneur, that's exciting because you get to treat it like a giant startup. But the other thing though, is I had to adapt. Like my first week on the role was really embarrassing. So I started, I came in there, I sat down with my boss. I'm like, right, this is what I want to achieve for the week. And she's kind of rolling her eyes at me. And I get to the end of the week and she goes, oh, how'd you find your first week? And I said, really frustrating. She goes, really? And I said, yeah, look, I only achieved this, 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 and this. I wanted to achieve this and this and blah, blah. And she goes, okay, I probably should have let you know what my expectation of you was from you for your first week on the job. And I said, yeah. And she goes, nothing. I had no expectation. I expect you to just be getting your feet on the ground, easing into the role. And I said, yeah, I don't do easing very well. Um, <laughs> coming from a startup background, you run 200 mile an hour and you will trip and then have to get up bloody knees and everything and just keep running, you know? Yep. Um, so so that took a bit of adjusting. It was, I, I almost hate saying this, but it's almost like a holiday compared to having your own company where you're like, wow, I can go home at five o'clock. There's no expectation. And then it's over. Outside yeah. Of hours. <laughs> yeah. I was like, what am I going to do with my life? <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. yeah. So the, it did take a bit of adjusting, but that call back is really powerful as well. And you can't deny that. Fair enough. Fair enough. And that, that uh, end of work day is, is an appealing thing. I've never, uh, never really had that. So it's, <laughs> it's an interesting yeah. concept. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, one thing I wanted to ask was, about your skill set and your characteristics as an entrepreneur, like what what are you developing now? What what either either your personality traits or um, skill yeah. sets specifically, like technical skills? Like what are you still trying to improve on? What are you not happy with your? I mean, obviously we're never happy with ourselves, but you know, what yeah. what do you identify as your current weak points? Uh, everything. Uh, no, I'm I'm uh, like I don't know if you know the concept of kaizen. Um, no. it's a Japanese concept that came out um, after World War Two. So Japan was obviously devastated at the end of World War Two uh, with the, the atomic bombs that went off there. Um, most of it was in disarray. So they had to rebuild Japan. So rather than go, this is a giant project, let's you know, plan the whole thing out. They they brought in this guy and I've completely forgotten his name and I can't be bothered looking it up. Um, but, but he essentially came up with this concept of Kaizen, which means small changes or continual changes. And the idea is, uh, I liken it to compound interest. Mm. Like the idea is you just keep making these improvements, minor improvement, minor improvement, minor improvement. And before you know it, you were here, and now you are way up here without even thinking about it. It's not a step jump. It's just been this continual, gradual change. So for myself personally, um, I embrace the imposter syndrome in the sense that I, I like the fact that I feel like the dumbest guy in the room half the time because that motivates me to learn more to, to research more to so I'm always listening to podcasts. Um, I'm always reading books, I'm always reading articles, I want to keep up to date with everything. And the best way, by the way, to retain all that is then teach that to somebody else as well. Huh. Plus it makes you look like an expert, which is really cool. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> fun feeling. So yeah, so I'm, I'm constantly uh, looking at new ways to engage customers, new ways to kind of bridge the gap between their need and their preferred future. Um, but one of the interesting things for me is an exercise. So I, I have my own coach, 
I'm a firm believer, by the way, in, in that kind of improvement as well. I just pay for a coach. It's probably the first thing you should do as an entrepreneur is make sure you've got a coach, make sure you've got somebody there that can um, that can be there for you when you have those mornings where you feel like, you know, you can't even get out of bed. Like, honestly, they're a great sounding point to go, yeah, you're okay. It's all fine. This is a normal part of being an entrepreneur. But also, they will they will fill those gaps that you have. So I'm constantly learning from my coach uh, and often actually will highlight to you your blind spots that you didn't even know you had, you know? How do you go about um, finding a coach? I've never I've never had one before in a business context. What, a, do you just Google uh, yeah, it? Yeah, this or is... Do you get recommendations? Um, I look at who's doing what you want to be doing in the way that you want to do it. And that's a really important factor in there. So one of the things I did is when I left Signal, I thought I need I need a coach, an entrepreneurial coach. So I had my mentors and you know, coach and mentors kind of go hand in hand, but I wanted to pay for a coach and go, right, I want someone that I is going to like keep me in check throughout the year and, and keep me online, uh, keep me in line. And what I the first thing I did was basically rule out a bunch of people. So I looked at uh, people in my industry that were further ahead than me or people doing what I want to be doing, but were further ahead. But I looked at the way that they did it and realized that wasn't aligned with me. So as an example, and I won't name names, but there's marketers out there that very much treat customers and potential customers as fodder. It's like, like we're going to go out there and we're going to try and not, they won't use the term manipulate, but it's basically manipulate them into doing what we want. So using behavioral economics to kind of put nudges in there and get them to do all of these different things, rather than look at it from this perspective, which is this customer is your focus. They have a need and you need to meet that need. So actually putting the customer's needs first. And, and a great example of the way that kind of unfolds is, uh, I had this argument with a marketer recently and he was somebody I was actually looking at to be a coach for me and then realized this is never ever gonna work because his whole philosophy is give as little away as possible for free, mm. right? Just do as little as possible That's and the opposite get, of them in, get them paying. Yeah, the opposite of me, exactly. Get them paying for what you're offering as fast as possible and then keep building on that and building on that and building on that and, and getting more value from them. And I'm going, well, I'm the opposite. I want to add value to them. I give away as much as possible for free, knowing that I'm a firm believer in this whole concept of karma, man. Like you do good things, good things happen to you. You put stuff out there, you help as many people as possible. Guess what? They then want to work with you. They then want more from you. They want to. So yeah, we're very much unaligned. That was never going to work as a coach. So I had to find a coach that was aligned with my, literally came from somebody else who said they were going into a course that she was doing. And they said, oh, I'm doing this course. You should jump in there, Vince. And I went, okay, cool. Jumped in the course and everything she was saying, um, so I need to be working with you. Uh, and then the second thing I did set up, by the way, was an accountability coach. I, I think that's really important. And and I don't mean that necessarily from making sure you're working on the right stuff, because I think my coach does a really good job of that. But my accountability coach has worked me out. And she, basically her main thing is to make sure that I'm not overdoing it that I'm looking after myself as well as my business and everything and making sure all of these things are aligned. So she's worked out that um, one of my happy places is writing. That's why I write my books and things like that. I really do enjoy it. It's such a cathartic experience. So the first thing she asked me every time we check in the week, so how much writing did you get done? I was like, damn it. Because she knows if I'm stressed or if I'm overworking or if I'm doing too much or pushing myself too hard, the writing is one of the first things that gets sacrificed. So she's learned to work out how I work, work out how my brain works and hold me to account on those kind of things. So, yeah, so it's, it's difficult, man. Word of mouth is probably one of the best ways. Um, 
ask people um and if somebody aligns with you if somebody like if you listen to someone to go hey that's or you're watching the way that they do things and go that's the type of person i want to be like that's the type of person that really resonates with me okay. reach out to them nine times out of ten you may not even realize they're a coach but one of one of my biggest clients i picked up recently um when i sat down with him he literally did what i did he said look i don't care how much it costs just invoice me i need this and I was like, oh, okay. So we're, we're talking it through and how we're working together. And he goes, do you realize I wanted you to coach me a year ago? And I said, but I wasn't doing paid coaching back then. And he goes, oh, I know, really frustrating. But, but he, had, he had been working, he'd seen the way that I've done things and he really wanted, but the interesting thing is he didn't know until I said, I'm doing this. He heard it on a podcast and me saying, I'm coaching people. And he's like, oh, I want that. And I was like, oh man, I didn't know. <laughs> so just ask people. Go out and ask them if they do, if they can be your coach. Uh, they may say no, that's fine, but they may also know people that are more aligned with them as well. So yeah, just word them out. Sure. Them. Okay, thank you. Um, I'm that's on my list of to dos. That sounds like something <laughs> that I would benefit from. Definitely. Um, all right, I got two more questions for you. Go for it. So next one is more of a generic one. What uh, what are your like go to books, authors, podcasters? Who who are your influences? Yeah. Um, turn me on to a few people that you think uh -huh. I might like or that you've liked. Book-wise, this is really easy, um, Chip and Dan Heath. If you haven't made, read Made to Stick, um, I, I reread, there's a few books I reread every year because I want to make sure it's always fresh in my mind. So Made to Stick is one of those. It's about creating content that, um, that basically impacts people, that sticks with people. Um, and then there is Contagious by um, uh, Jonah Berger. I went blank on his name for a second. Jonah Berger, that is an incredible book. It's research-based. And it's looking at why things go, and I hate this term, but why things go viral, why things are shared. So it looks at things like um, the scarcity factor, that it looks at social currency, which is a really powerful concept when you're dealing with consumers and businesses. So it's, I highly recommend those two. Um, I'm gonna butcher his name. I have to turn around because I can never pronounce it. Nia Eyal, um, I know that's pronounced wrong, but Indistractable. Um, it's a new book he put out. He's the author of Hooked. Um, but it was a book that I actually listened to the audio book while I was running a half marathon and it was impacting me so much, but it's about being deliberate with your time, being deliberate with your actions um, and not feeling. So for example, a lot of entrepreneurs will sit down and watch Netflix and feel guilty about that because I should be working on my business. I should be doing this, but mm -hmm. no, that, and they feel like Netflix is a distraction from their business but it's not a distraction if that's what you intend to do in that moment. If you're like, right now is my time, I'm going to look after myself, I'm going to go and read a book, or I'm going to go and watch TV, I'm gonna to go to the movies, or go for a walk in the park, or run, or whatever. If you're being deliberate about that time, that is not a distraction, that is what your intention is, and you cannot feel guilt about that. So it's a really important book. Yeah. Um, podcast, of course, your podcast. Um, <laughs> podcast. <laughs> and um, yours. <laughs> of course, of course. Um, I'm a huge fan of uh, Kinsey Mackis. Uh, she runs a podcast called Launch It Girl. And yes, I'm aware that I'm not a girl. Um, and she very much works with female entrepreneurs. But Kinsey is just one of the loveliest people. I've had the pleasure of meeting her a number of times and being able to call her a friend. But I get a lot out of her podcast. She's just somebody who, again, has gone from corporate life into entrepreneurship and is very emotionally honest about their journey and things. Uh, and I know you get a lot out of that. Uh, and the the marketing book podcast uh, with Douglas Burdett. It is a podcast where he talks to authors. He talks to people who are um, who, who, about the book itself. So you get a lot of the content of the book in the podcast, 
so they'll talk about what's in the book but more than that you get the thinking behind it and why they wrote what they wrote wrote and what their what their process was for bringing this book to life and actually sometimes i find that more powerful than the actual book itself like actually understanding <laughs> the motivations behind them like yes this this makes sense to me now so um, it makes sense as you're an author yeah. yeah yeah exactly exactly so those those books oh and if you are wanting to be an author um, something I highly encourage. I, I coach a lot of people around uh, writing books and being published and getting their first book out there. Um, but one of the books that is absolute must reading is uh, Everybody Writes by Anne Handley. Um, I had the pleasure of meeting her. She is just one of the most lovely women. And that book becomes your Bible when you're writing. It is amazing. So, yeah. Thanks. Okay. I'll check those out. Um, cool. So, this last question is a cue I'm taking from you. Um, in the uh, exposing my own, I guess you told me not to expose open wounds, but here we are. Um, so what I'm currently working on, you know, I'm a new podcast host. This is my first yeah. time really doing anything like this. Uh, I'm, I'm outside of my comfort zone. I feel like I'm learning how to do it better. Uh, things, things are starting to pick up the pace and I'm having a lot of fun doing it, but you're, I've listened to your episodes. You're a fantastic host. You're a fantastic guest. What can I learn from you? Like what what advice would you give me having been on my show now for like the better part of an hour and a half? Um, what uh, what wow. can I improve on? Oh man, okay. Um, that's a tough question. I, I, like, I'm not just saying this because I'm on your show. You're actually, you, you have a natural rapport with people. You've got a natural charisma about you. People like listening to you. Uh, I like listening to you. So um, you've already got that going for you. That's more than most podcasters, sadly. Thanks. Um, the <laughs> other thing is, and, and the other thing you do really well, which is usually the advice I give podcasters, is be really curious. Like, be very curious about the person that you're interviewing. Be very curious about whoever you have on the show. Uh, because the questions that you have when you're curious are the questions that most of your listeners will have as well. So when you're asking those kind of things, that's where that's where the real juice comes from, you know. And and full disclosure, I, when I interview people on my podcast, nine times out of ten, I'm super curious about that. There has been episodes where I don't connect as much as I would like. I'm not as curious as I would like, and I don't feel like, even though you get good feedback about the episode, I don't feel like it went as well. I won't tell you um, which episodes, <laughs> but, but there's ones <laughs> there where I'm good. going, yeah, I'm going. Oh, and, and then there are episodes where you were just genuinely blown away. Like um, I had an episode with my accountability coach, funny enough, her name's Cindy Van Arnhem, and she's just a wonderful human being. And I got her on the show and we did this, and it's my highest rated episode by far. Like honestly, that is the one episode that's just gone gangbusters and not through marketing or networking or anything, but because people are getting a lot out of it. In fact, we, we went to a dinner party, uh, myself and my wife, and we're catching up with some friends there and there was someone there who I didn't know very well. And he says something, he goes, yeah, yeah, you wouldn't want to be in the T-Rex brain, would you? You want to get into dolphin brain? And I'm like, wait, what? I'm looking, I'm so confused. I'm like, how does he know these <laughs> concepts? Like, what is going on here? I don't know. And he goes, oh, and he, he saw the confusion on my face. He goes, don't worry, I've been listening to your podcast. He said, I've listened to that episode three times because it made a genuine impact. And the reason it was is because I, it was what I call my selfish episode because it was where I wanted to talk to Cindy about this stuff and uh, and also gave me a free coaching session with her. Uh, so, so I'm there just <laughs> extracting all this wisdom out of her for myself personally. And I felt like it was like a really good kind of coaching session for me. So other people felt that way as well. And they, they you know, the, the delight and the laughter and honestly, when Cindy and I catch up, it's usually a bundle of laughs anyway, but they felt that as well. And it came across as authentic and that's why it resonates. So. 
um, that I just I keep doing what you're doing genuinely. Uh, like I said, you've got you've got the charisma, you've got the the rapport building, you've got everything there. So just keep doing what you're doing, keep connecting, and always. One of the things I would say is don't be afraid to ask people that you really want on the show. Um, I did this. There were people where I'm going, there's no way they'll ever be on my show. And I reached out and said, look, I'm just going to do this. Um, I'm, I've got this new podcast. I really want you as part of it. And I was surprised how many of them just said yes. Um, so just don't be afraid of that. Put yourself out there and, and reach for them. I, I am, I'm putting it out there. I'm telling you at one point, and it's not going to be until next year because I want to get a few things in place. I'm getting Pat Flynn on my show because he's one of the loveliest guys on the internet and I just want to hang out with him. Um, I'm, I'm wow. a firm believer in, in nice guys uh, on, in marketing and he's definitely one of those. So I'm going to get him on my show. That is one of my goals. I'm going to be bold and brash and I'm not going to say, I'm not going to take no for an answer and keep asking and asking and asking until he says, Oh, I'm worn down. Yes, I'll be on your show, Vince. <laughs> the day that happens, there's going to be something that goes out on my LinkedIn where there's like this clip of you saying this right now, and yeah, then yeah, like yeah, you yeah. introducing him on your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I would literally, I'll take, I'll play it to him as well. And say, look, we talked about this last year. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Uh, awesome. Well, this has been a blast. Thank you so much. Um, uh, I really been enjoying talking with you. You're such an inspirational guy. Your approach to marketing is. It's like just being a good person, and I think that's something that more people need to hear. Our industry is yeah. so stale sometimes, and you're a breath of fresh air. So I really appreciate it. Thank you man. so much. Yeah. Um, anything you want to say to people? Where can people find you? You know, like yeah, I said, yeah. you'll have had an intro before this all started, but like, if there's anything anywhere you want to send people, uh, look the the biggest way, the biggest thing is reach out and connect with me. I I love people. I love talking with people. I love helping people. So genuinely, like if, anything you want to talk, you want to talk about publishing your book. Let's just jump on a call. Um, best way to reach out to me is through Chasing the Insights website. Um, so you'll hear that in the bio. But just go there. That's where the podcast is. That's where a lot of my stuff is there as well. My book is. Um, but there's also a link in there to my Facebook group. Um, it's a weird and wonderful little family of entrepreneurs who are super supportive. Um, very much it's the culture that I want to create in there, which is very supportive of each other and things. We have challenges and all that kind of stuff. Come and join us. You're all welcome, right? If you're an entrepreneur, you're a business owner, marketer, or just you want to get into that, just come in there and learn from some of these cool people. It's awesome. Awesome. Well, there you guys have it. Thank you so much, Vince, and I'm uh, looking forward to chatting with you later today. Awesome. Cheers, mate.